God is so good. He, uh, he gives us more than what we can even begin to appreciate or understand. Today's sermon's title is kind of weird. Love with a twist. Them? Seriously? How? The uh, time of Jesus, there was the high priest. Uh, you may remember that uh, Paul said that he studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the chief rabbis in the nation of Israel. He became high priest after another uh, high priest by the name of Shammai. Shammai was a young man that was a contemporary of a very well-respected rabbi, teacher. He was a rabbi of rabbis. His name was Hillel. So Hillel, Shammai, and Gamaliel. Gamaliel was actually Hillel's grandson, if you can imagine. Uh, Hillel was 60 when Shammai was born. Are you following all this, this family tree? So the tradition of the Jewish rabbis, the Israeli, the Israelite rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, is that they would write a lot of commentaries. And these commentaries have been kept and recorded and uh, they have maintained them in what's called the Talmud, what's called the uh, Mishnah and other writings and depending on when they've been written they have different influences over the nation. So at the time of Hillel and at the time of Shammai it would have been they would have been rabbis and they had amazingly large schools of rabbis. Uh, the legend is that Shammai and uh, he had a Gentile come to him. And the Gentile came to him and said, uh, Rabbi, teach me and make me a convert on condition that you teach me everything, the whole Torah, while I stand on one leg. In other words, do it quick. So Shammai got really upset. Shammai was very... You know, so he pushes him away and he got rid of him. So the, the Gentile was very curious. He wanted to really understand. So he went to Hillel. Hillel is now older. So he asks Hillel the same question. Teach me and convert me to Judaism. I want to be a believer in this God of yours and convert me while I stand on one leg. 
teach me the whole rab, uh, Torah. So he says to him, Hillel says to this Gentile, don't do to anybody else what you don't want anybody to do to you. That's the whole Torah. The rest is the explanation. Now go. What's the point? The point is that in all of the Old Testament, the prophets and all of the teachers of the law were trying to get this across to the people of Israel. And this is recorded in what we're going to come to today. So it was in that culture, it was in that mixture of ideas and thoughts and religious understanding that one of the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together and one of them, an expert of the law, doesn't tell us who, but he was probably one of the, the disciples, one of the students of Hillel or Shammai. And uh, he came to him and asked him a question to test him. And he asked him, and this was a big deal. This was actually the reason that they studied the Torah. So that they would understand how to be right with God and how to enter into his kingdom. How to enter into the realm of God and how they can experience the fullness of the presence of God in their everyday life constantly. So this rabbi, this Pharisee, is actually questioning Jesus to see if he understood something. If he is a solid rabbi and he asks him, teacher, what commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Again, in the Jewish writings, there's a rabbi by the name of Akiva, very highly respected rabbi. Again, at the time of just after Jesus, they were asking him, why does this say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind? Isn't it enough to say your soul and your mind? Or, or your heart and your mind? Why is the soul added? He thought about it for a while. And he said to them, you can love God with all your heart. You can love God with all your mind. But it's something different when you love him with your soul. And he breathed his last breath and he said, I give you my soul. And he died. So when Jesus says this, you can appreciate that in the society that he was speaking, Matthew is writing this gospel directed to the listeners who are Jewish people at the time of Jesus. So they already are bombarded with these ideas. These are not new ideas to them. But he's confronting them with the truth. And you and I today are so many years away from that. Our issues, our realities are different 
our needs. The struggles that we struggle with are different. But are they? The people of Israel at that time were under Roman occupation. They were people that were oppressed. Now it's very tempting for you to start thinking, is he going to the current conflict that we see about in the news? You're wondering. You'll find out. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Maybe you will have to determine. This is the greatest and the first commandment. It is actually the commandment that is written on the hearts of every Jew. And it's the commandment that is inscribed in that little scroll that they have on their front doors. You know that little piece of metal or wood that they hang on their side of their door frame in their house some of them have it in every room in the house so that as they're walking in and out because the instruction is to teach this to your children and your children's children and it starts off with the scripture that says hear O Israel that's the Shema in Hebrew which is here listen hear O Israel the Lord your God is one there's only one God. Love him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So Jesus is aware of all of this. But he then throws this curveball. What is it? I told you it's the setting that they're all struggling with. Hillel, Shammai, Gamaliel. They're all struggling with how to explain this to people. That as a covenant people of God, they are not only to love God with all their being, their mind, their heart, their soul, everything, but they are also to love God and to love their neighbor as themselves. And then he goes on, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now you've heard sermons about this. I've preached sermons about this. I started to do the lectionary to avoid drilling down on my favorite topics, and this is one of them, but it's today's theme. So what's Jesus talking about? And the rabbi that came and asked him these things wasn't offended. He knew that Jesus was right, that these are the greatest two things. Love God and love others as you love yourself. So in that time, and since that time, the people that were entrusted with this, the Jewish, te Jewish teachers of the law, have been struggling to define what it means. That's why this story about teach me the whole Torah as I stand on one leg. Because it's a struggle for them to begin to understand it. So much so that when they looked at this, your neighbor they started to find ways of trying to define who the neighbor is. Is the neighbor another Jewish person? Is the neighbor just my family member? Is the neighbor just a member of my own tribe? Or is it one of the tribes of Israel? They came to different conclusions at different times. 
And we have done the same. When Jesus says, love one another, is he speaking just to the disciples for them to love each other? Or is he asking us to love everyone? Well, where did Jesus get this word? He obviously got it from the scriptures that they had in their hand at the time that he was alive, which is what we today call the Old Testament. So where in the Old Testament? There's a section in the books of Moses, in one of the books called Leviticus, there's a whole section that's called the holiness section. And it's right in the middle of the book of Leviticus. And today, we land on one of those sections in chapter 19 of Leviticus. And in chapter 19, it, is, it actually deals with one of the biggest struggles that we have in humanity today, especially here in North America. Ethics and morality. How do we do what's right with one another? How do we deal fairly with one another? How do we have struggles in the family? How do husbands and wives divorce or not divorce? Even if they have to divorce, how do they do it? Do they do it by killing each other in the, in the court? Do they hire lawyers and just keep going? As a matter of fact, there's a rabbi recently who wrote a book and his, the title of the book, Divorce as a Good Deed, as a good act. That's not the title of the book, it's a, it's a Hebrew title. And uh, it's a little bit different. If you're interested in reading that book, come and see me, I'll give you the actual title. But how do you do that? What are you laughing? <laughs> you want the title here now? Let's keep going. The Lord spoke to Moses saying these words, speak to all the congregation of the Israelites and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Not new words. We've seen this before. But in this whole chapter, I, the Lord your God, am holy, seems to be repeated over and over again after every one of the areas that God highlights. And don't forget, last week we were talking about this, when God appeared to Moses and he appeared to him and he actually covered him and, and spoke with him. And in chapter 34 of Exodus, we read these words. The Lord descended in the clouds and stood with him there and proclaimed the name. He told him, I'm going to come and show you. When he said, show me your face. Show me yourself. Come with us. Let's go together. Live among us. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So Moses is not unfamiliar with what it means when God says, I am the Lord. Yehovah. Yahweh. When he says that, Moses is not shocked. He knows what God is saying. So in Leviticus, when he reads these words, or God says these words to him, Moses is aware, oh, oh, okay, this is serious. God is exposing a part of his identity to me now. 
And not only is he exposing his identity to me now, he's also exposing the identity that he is imparting to us. He's not just giving me a commandment. He's telling me how he's going to make me become. It is both a commandment and a promise. And this is not just my idea. This is what you can read if you go back and study the Talmud and if you study all of the different writings of the Jewish leaders of that time. They understood that even the Ten Commandments weren't just Ten Commandments, but they were Ten Descriptors of what the people of God will be brought into being because of the presence of God among them. This will be your nature. I can command you to be good, but I can also now rewire you so that goodness is part of who you become. And that's what the intent of God dwelling in his people, in the midst of his people, walking among them, is to do. So that the people of God would be a different people, that the world would know that God is among them because they are now a changed people. And he says to him, you shall ren not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand idly by when the blood of your neighbor is at stake, I am the Lord. Underline. You shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin. Oh, wow, okay, I can hate those that are not my kin. You shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is where Jesus got it. I am the Lord. This section has been debated over and over and over again amongst the rabbis. They have had books that they've written about what this means to society, to them as Jews. What does it mean to them in their interactions with their warring neighbors? They've come up with all kinds of different understandings. They've debated back and forth different rabbis holding different positions. To the point that some have even said, these apply to the society that is under the guidance of God. And some said no. This applies to our relationship with everyone. And those who said that read further down in the book. And in the same chapter, chapter 19, in 33 and 34, we read these words. When an alien, in other words, not one of your people, not a kinman, kinsman, not a relative of yours, not a Jewish person, an alien, someone who is foreign, 
resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. Okay, I won't oppress them. Let them live. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as a native born among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That's pretty intense stuff. Now don't think of Israel in Gaza. Think of you and your neighbor. Think of you and your enemy. Think of you and your husband when you're fighting. Or your wife. Or your children. Or your parents. Think of the closest. And what happens inside your heart when you're in the middle of that rage. Are you and that person that cut you off? I mean, these are simple things. The person that stole that position from you when you were trying to get that promotion. The person that stole that deal from you when you were trying to really negotiate hard. The person that caused you to leave your family home because of conflict. The person that's maybe bombing your homeland. Or raping your family members because they're just coming through and they're pillaging. Think of all of those things. And it applies here. One of these verses just blew me away. You shall not be partial to the poor. You'll be fair and just in your judgments. Sometimes partial to the poor is not what we are. Most of the time we're impartial. We're, we're even that negligent of the poor. We don't honor them. We don't respect them. We don't give them. But he's saying here, don't be partial to them. In other words, don't favor them more than they ought to be favored. Because sometimes we oppress those that are rich. We judge them for not caring for the poor. That's kind of a weird one here. It's, dig into that one a little bit if you're interested. But this one here is interesting. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. You know what the difference between those two is? They asked the rabbis. I mean, this is a, a really Jewish sermon today. They asked the rabbis, help us understand this. So one of them says, it's easy. If your neighbor comes, or if you go to your neighbor and say, hey, can I borrow your axe? I have a tree I have to tear down. And he says, no. And then the next day, your neighbor comes and says, can I borrow your saw? I have a piece of wood to cut. Vengeance is this. You turn to him and says, no, you didn't give it to me. I won't give it to you. Get lost. That's vengeance. Grudge is different. He said, what's grudge? So the rabbi says, grudge is when your neighbor comes and you go to your neighbor and you say, can I borrow your axe? And he says, no. The next day he comes and says, can I borrow your saw? And you say, sure. 
here is my saw. See, I'm not doing what you did. I'm letting you have my saw. Even if you say that in your heart. Because in your heart, you're still carrying the grudge. He didn't give me. But your actions are positive. You're showing goodness. I'm not acting like you. But inside, it's garbage. That's the grudge. So here he's addressing it. He's saying, don't take vengeance and don't bear a grudge. Love honestly. You should love your neighbor as yourself. So they went to the rabbis and they said, it's impossible to me to love somebody like I love myself. It's not a humane thing to ask. It's not a normal thing for God to ask us to love others like we love ourselves. So they started to, to debate that. What does loving oneself look like? Well, loving one, myself means I don't want to get into harm. I don't want to lose. I want to protect what's mine. My family, my belongings, my money my intellect, my peace, my rest, all of what's mine, I want to protect it. I don't want anybody to steal anything from it. I don't want to lose anything from it. So if I love my neighbor like that, how can I? He's trying to take advantage of me. I'm going to get stuck. I'm not going to know how to do this and yet love him the same way. Because what's at stake if I love him is I'm going to lose some of this. So they said, okay, well, we have to come up with a better formulation. And you know, they're experts at the law. So they find different parts of the law to explain how to do this. So they came up with different suggestions. That when you love like you love yourself, you have to think of it because it's not written in this way. It's written not as a... a active thing but more like a passive thing and they started to debate all kinds of things but what the reality of it is is love them as you would love who you are not what you have but who you are who are you and they started to struggle with that but then the rabbis came back and they said, listen, the way to love them like you have, uh, that you are, is to understand that at the very beginning, and they started to teach this concept that now we call in the church, imago Dei. Anybody know what that means? Or want to take a guess? Imago. Image. Day. God. So they started to understand that they have all been created in the image of God. And they started to teach this concept, what they call B'Tselem Elohim in Hebrew. Which literally means in the image of God. So when you love your neighbor as yourself, you love the neighbor because yourself is made in the image of God. And this is what they were referring to. They're looking at the first chapter of Genesis where it says that in the, begin, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 26, and God said, let us make humans 
in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish over the of the sea over the birds of the air over the cattle and over the wild animals of the earth and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth God so God created him humans in his image he created them male and female he created them that was in Genesis 1 but in Genesis 5 where we see all of the different descendants of Adam not just the descendants of one bloodline that was the holy bloodline Shem not Shem go back uh, Cain Abel and Seth this is the list of Adam's descendants when God created humans he made them in his likeness male and female he created them and he blessed them and called them humans when they were created so they when when they remembered this portion of the scripture they realized that loving my neighbor like myself is loving the image of God in that neighbor and being settled that every person and this is what solved the mystery for them who is my neighbor but they still struggled with it at the time of Jesus remember the rabbi came to him and says who is my neighbor right after this passage we read in one of the other gospel he asked them who is my neighbor and Jesus goes on and tells them about the good Samaritan who loved the person who was not even one of them they were coming to understand that loving your neighbor means loving everyone that's why Jesus went on to, to stress things and to tell them love your enemies they weren't quite there yet in their understanding and their processing of this truth but neither are we 2,000 years later in the church neither are we there neither do we know how to love our neighbors properly nor do we know how to love our enemies yeah but this is you know there's the concept and the theology of just war war that is just we have to protect there's a lot of Christians who have taken the position of pacifism I'm not here to tell you what's right and wrong in that area I'm not that's not the point of my sermon the point of my sermon is that he's asking us to love them seriously but how it's darn impossible how can I love this person who's made in the image of God when they're hurting me they're not acting in the image of God and God says hate what's evil they're acting evil can I love them should I love them shouldn't I crush them shouldn't I eliminate them from my life shouldn't I distance myself and be separated from them because they're evil if there's nothing good that comes out of their mouth or their hands or their actions or their thoughts or even the meditations of their heart they're just ugly with evil good question right Hmm? it's a 2,000 year answer 
the answer was given, demonstrated, displayed, manifest to all creation. Jesus in John tells them these words. They came to ask him what was the greatest commandment and he said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself and on these is all the law and the prophets. You can study the scriptures until God finishes this age and you're going to get stuck with these two but you're not going to know how to do them. But now I'm going to give you a new commandment. And that's the answer. This new commandment is a different thing altogether. He says to them, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Not like you love yourself because you're going to struggle with that. Not like you love who is my neighbor and who's not my neighbor because you're still struggling with that. But love as I have loved you. You also should love one another. No limit to who, no limit to how. Yeah, it sounds so naive, Haney. You haven't, you haven't really thought this through. There's so many circumstances that we cannot do that. That's why I'm asking, seriously? How? The way he loved. He goes on and he says, by this, by this, by this thing that you do, not by the signs and wonders that I'm going to give you that will follow you and that people will be amazed and follow you because they see the signs and wonders. Those are also going to be given. But by this, by this they will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Oh, so we should just love ourselves as the church. They struggled with this, Christians. They said we have to love one another as Jesus loved us in the church. But that's not what he's saying. That's not what the question was in Matthew. That's not what the struggle of Gamaliel and Hillel and Shammai and all these others rabbi were when they were trying to discover who is my neighbor. That's not what he was telling them when he gave them the good Samaritan, the answer as to who is my neighbor. He gave them all of this to tell them just love for goodness sake. Love those that hate you. Love those that persecute you. Love those that crucify you. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Love them when they don't deserve love. Love them when they hate you and they want to spit in your face. Love them when they put a crown of thorns on your head and they crucify you, nailing your hands and feet to the cross. Love them when they don't deserve to be loved. And give yourself to them. Man, that's hard. I have a responsibility to my wife. I can't give myself to this person because of my love for them. I have to cover her and protect her. But love them. How? I'm going to lose the ability to protect my wife, my kids. How can I love them? But he says, don't worry about that. You just love them. That's so impractical. That's so irresponsible. I don't know. He left everything in heaven, came down to show us undeserved corrupt, broken, hateful people how to love. And there was no bounds to that love. It wasn't limited to the good 
thief on the cross and the bad thief had to, did not get loved. He died for both. It wasn't for the good Jews and the bad Jews didn't get it. It wasn't just for the Jews and not for the Gentiles. It wasn't for the good Gentiles, the God-fearing Gentiles, and not the God-fearing Gentiles. It was for all of humanity that he loved and he gave himself. John 3.16, we quote it all the time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him, believes in so what? Believes and still hates? Believes and still judges? Believes and still, you know, prefers to do this and not to do that? He was just like, bang. He stood there and he just put a, a seal on all the rabbi's discussions by coming to them and saying, this is how you love. This is how you love. Now the question in the back of your minds could be, so what is he saying about Israel and Gaza? Israel and Hamas? I'm not. I'm letting you figure that one out. You know the truth. And they're cousins. They're kin. They're both children of Abraham. Do you think this is just on the Jews? It's on both. But is it just on the both? The children of Abraham? No, it's on all of us. What we did here with the First Nations, what's happening in Armenia with Azerbaijan, What's happening in Iran with the Islamic guard? Doesn't matter. It's all ugliness. It's all disgusting. It's all human brokenness. It's all self. But he has an answer. Humble yourself. And when you receive this love from him, he comes. He dwells in your heart. He puts his spirit in you. The Bible says the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal bodies, your bodies that are corrupt and dying. He, God himself now in the person of the Holy Spirit comes and makes a home inside you. He doesn't do what he did with Moses, come on top of the mountain and then leaves. Comes on top of the mountain and says, I am the Lord, I am merciful. He now comes and actually whoosh, slips inside of your body, inside of your heart, and dwells there and equips you so that you cannot just obey the commandment to be holy, but to fulfill the promise that you are going to be holy, like He is holy. He doesn't just come in and just transform you instantly. They wash slowly. He constantly washes. When they asked the rabbis about what does it mean to be made in the image of God? They said to them, and why did God say you shall not make a graven image? You know a graven image, a carved image, like a statue or whatever? 
And the rabbi said, we don't need statues. Because when we understand that he has said what he said is true, and that we shouldn't make these graven images, when we all come into the church in the synagogue at that time, when we come in, we are bringing the images of God. We together become the statue of God. We don't need statues and carvings on the wall. We are the carvings of God. So they asked the rabbis, couldn't God have just made us perfect? And the answer was again, no, he could have. But he chose for you to perfect the image of him in you by allowing you to be part of the process. They had, pretty, they had a lot of wisdom, these rabbis. They had understood quite a lot. But they failed when it came to recognizing the one who came to show them what the answer is. And he's different. He's very different. He wasn't like any of the other teachers, the rabbis. He was born of a virgin. He wasn't born like everybody else. With a father like Gamaliel was the grandson of Hillel. He didn't have a grandfather. He was different. All three of the Abrahamic religions recognize that he's different. The Jews recognize that the Messiah is not going to be the son of David, but he's going to be one that was there before David. That's one of the other readings of today's passages if you want to go and read them. It's actually right after this portion of Matthew. As soon as he finished saying this about love God and love your neighbor, they asked him, tell us about the Messiah. Is he the son of David? And he says, yeah. But how is it in the scripture, David in the psalm says that my Lord said to my Lord. So how can he be the son of David, but yet David calls him Lord? So there's a mystery, but they didn't quite get it. But you and I have it now. The whole world has it now. The three Abrahamic religions. The Jews know he's going to be the son of David, but he's above David. The Christians know that he is the Messiah that was born of the virgin and came to die on the cross. Muslims will tell you, yeah, he, Jesus was born of a virgin, but they won't see the last part, that he is the one who died on the cross, because that's what changes everything. That's what defines love. That's what changes everything, but they want to protect it. And as much as they recognize that Jesus is unique, they get less lost in the shuffle. Don't get lost. Jesus is unique. Read the Gospels. They haven't been changed. They are what they are. There's so many different versions of them that you can read different translations so that you can understand what the different words in the Greek mean in the English. Read the Farsi, read the Arabic, read the English, read the French. Whatever language you have, read it. So that you can encounter this person who is himself love. Who loves unconditionally. Who loves those that don't deserve love. And then when we are shaped into that, we can be the expression on earth of his followers. 
the issue of whose disciple are you was a big deal back in the day. Akiva was just a poor man. He was a rabbi. And his wife wanted him to study. He, he was a nobody, really. And his wife wanted him to study the Torah, so he went away. And it says that for 12 years, he studied. And when he finished, he came back with 12,000 disciples, rabbis that he was training. And his wife didn't know he was coming back. And he heard her say that uh, his, his, her friends were asking her, oh, are you looking forward to your husband coming back? And she says, oh, if he comes back, it would be great. But if he delays and brings even more disciples, it'll be even better. So he goes away for another 12 years and comes back with another 12,000. So now there are 24,000 disciples. And the idea is that his thinking, his understanding is now being transferred. That's why discipleship is so important in the church. That we want to receive the mind of Christ so that we are changed and we want to give it to others so that they are also changed the same way. Are you being discipled? Great place to be discipled is a small groups. Get into one. Don't forget, it's an important part of who you are. So he came back and then 24,000 disciples. He came back and he's coming back with all of these students that are now learning his way. But Jesus says, by this everyone will know you are my disciples. So it's a big deal to learn how to love. It's a big deal to know how to love like he loved. The first two parts, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, are beginnings. They're just the beginning. But he's asking us to step into something else. He didn't say that those first two people will know that you're God's children. He said, you'll be known as my disciples when you love like I've loved. So today... We are confronted with this again. And we have a choice. We can continue as we always have. Come here, join the fitness worship club. Come here, get a good sermon, or maybe a three-quarter good sermon, I don't know. Get encouraged, go to small group, or today we can make a decision that we're going to be a different people. Let's all stand. My brother asked, how? That was my question. How? Them? They don't deserve my love. Do you think this dialogue took place in heaven before Jesus came was born on earth? The father says to him, son, we're going to go down and we're going to love these people. The angels asked them, not Jesus. Jesus was ready. He knew from the beginning of the creation that he was going to come and do this. It wasn't a surprise for him. But the angels they saw the disgustingness of humanity, the greed, the selfishness, the hatred, the killings, the wars, 
And they asked God. They asked themselves. They didn't dare ask God. They asked themselves, God is going to love them? They're like their father, Satan, who rebelled. They're walking in his image. Yes, them. Seriously? Them? Yes. But how? And Jesus came and down and showed them the answer. The cross. The cross. The cross. That's why there's so much attack on the cross. That it wasn't Jesus who was crucified. Yes, it was Jesus who was crucified. It was the one who was sinless that was crucified for all the sinners. The cross means denying yourself. It's not loving others like I love myself because I won't deny myself when I love myself. It's going further. It's loving others by denying myself. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've given us a model. You've given us the answer. You've given us a key. But just like the rabbis of old, internally we struggle. We don't want to believe that that's the answer. We come up with all kinds of justifications to lessen the weight, to reduce the obligation, to find a way out of having to love this way. But Lord, the price you paid was huge. And you invite us into that. To love like you. To deny ourselves like you. Have mercy on us, Lord. Our old self is very much alive. And you never intended to kill it because you said, I want you to come as a living sacrifice. So that part is still alive. And it will be till the day we breathe our last. And like that Rabbi Akiva or Hillel, whoever it was, that says, now I'm giving up my soul to you. So Lord, today we want to give our soul to you. And we want to say, Lord, work your way in us. We want to be holy like you are holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.